Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a Supreme Court podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Kimberly Robinson. And I'm Jordan Rubin. We're recording this episode on Friday, June 12th. And with just one SCOTUS opinion this week and just a single grant, now is a good time to take a step back and see how the term is shaping up. And we'll also chat about how our judicial friends up north are doing things during the pandemic, with the Supreme Court of Canada live streaming and video broadcasting its oral arguments. But first, Kimberly, let's talk about that unanimous opinion in Lomax against Ortiz Marquez. This is a case about prisoner suits and the Prison Litigation Reform Act. Kimberly, what's that one about? Right. So as you mentioned, this involves the PLRA and specifically what's known as the three strikes rule. And that's the rule that says after a prisoner has three or more lawsuits dismissed for being frivolous, malicious, or failing to state a valid claim, they're no longer able to file cases for free. Instead, they have to pay the $400 filing fee, which they might not be able to come up with. Right. And so the Supreme Court read the rule broadly to include not only dismissals for prejudice, but also those without prejudice as well. So it will be harder for prisoners to bring these kinds of suits, um, which is kind of the whole point of the PLRA anyway. Right. And during the oral argument, the government said prisoner suits accounted for nearly 25 percent of all federal court civil dockets before the PLRA was enacted more than 20 years ago. And now that number is closer to 10 percent. And so another interesting thing about this decision, which is really significant legally, (laughs) was that it was written by Justice Elena Kagan, and it's very heavy on the baseball puns. Here are a couple of her best lines. Here she is talking about the circuit split on the issue, and she says, quote, in line with our duty to call balls and strikes, we granted cert. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a little rough. Of course, for Supreme Court watchers, that calls to mind Chief Justice Roberts' famous line during his confirmation hearings that judges are like umpires who just call balls and strikes. Um, we don't have to get into how even for a casual baseball fan, they know that different umpires have different strike zones. But anyway. Well, she uh, that wasn't her only line. She concludes her brief opinion by saying that, quote, the text of the PLRA's three strike provision makes this an easy call. So easy no matter what kind of umpire you are. So we also got a grant in a case that the justices will hear next term, Niz Chavez against Barr. What's going on in that one? Right. So this is yet another immigration case that the justices will consider next term. And it involves the stop time rule, which should sound familiar to Cases and Controversies listeners. Right. This is the third case that the justices have taken up on the rule since 2018. Earlier this term, the justices made it harder for longtime green card holders to stay in the U.S., and that was in the case of Barton against Barr. Right. So the rule relates to the residency requirements needed to qualify for relief from deportation. And it's a seven or 10 year residency requirement, depending on your immigration status. Now, the stop time rule comes in because it stops time from accruing. And it's triggered when the government sends a notice of appearance to a non-citizen to appear for removal proceedings. And in 2018, the Supreme Court upended the government's longstanding practice of sending these incomplete notices to appear which didn't include the date or the time of the hearing. That seems like some important information to include on your notice to appear where where and when you're supposed to. Yeah. But this case that the justice has just granted um, seeks to take that ruling even further, saying that the government can't cure an inadequate notice to appear and that time should keep on rolling. Well, that'll be one to watch for next term. But Kimberly, we still have the biggest cases of this term yet to be decided. So let's see where we're at with those. Right. And that's something that's not really 
different um, uh, because of the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. The fact that the end of the term is when we get most of the consequential decisions is really usual. Right. And so with this prisoner lawsuit decision that we were just talking about, the justices now have 19 more opinions to go in argued cases. Right. And that they've announced that they'll issue opinions on Monday, June 15th and Thursday, June 18th. So we're getting to that time in the month where we have more opinion days than just one once a week. And those opinions usually uh, in a normal term would come down by the end of June. But given everything that's been going on, it's possible we might go into July, right? That's right. In particular, there were 10 cases argued in May, making that a pretty quick turnaround for the justices. Um, uh, Pretty quick even for Justice Ginsburg, who, no surprise, is currently the fastest justice at writing opinions. And Justice Sotomayor is usually up there too, right? She usually is, but not this year. So the average time from argument to decision this term for all of the justices is 118 days. And Justice Sotomayor is right at that 118-day mark. But Justice Ginsburg is turning her opinions around in just 76 days. And as we talked about on a prior episode, that could change, though, for Justice Ginsburg, right? Uh, If she winds up writing one or more of the majority opinions in the LGBT discrimination cases that were argued all the way back in October. Right. So she, Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Kavanaugh are the only justices who haven't written a case for the October sitting. And the justices typically try to give each justice a case from each of those sittings to even out the workload. Typically, but not always, even though there were 12 cases in that December sitting, for example, Justice Thomas didn't write any, even though other justices wrote multiple opinions. And of course, that sitting included the New York gun case that was dismissed on mootness grounds. So maybe he would have written that majority opinion if it was decided on the merits, but it wasn't. Right. So a little bit odd, but they've got to keep us on our toes somehow. Another thing that stayed the same despite the COVID crisis is that the justices are issuing more unanimous decisions now than divided ones. As of now, the justices have issued 18 unanimous decisions and just six that were decided by one vote. Although I'd expect that to change as the blockbuster cases start to come down. Yeah, and something interesting about these divided cases so far is that Justice Kavanaugh, the junior justice, has written half of them, including that Arisa case, Thole, that 5-4 opinion that was deciding uh, decided on standing grounds that we talked about recently, and also in the death penalty case, McKinney against Arizona, and that stop time rule case that we talked about earlier as well, Barton against Barr. You can't get away from the stop time rule. Yep. That's in everything. Uh, another thing about Justice Kavanaugh is that he's the only justice so far this term to have been in the majority 100% of the time. And he seems to be making the case that he's the swing or the median justice. Right. It seems like him and Chief Justice Roberts are both usually in that discussion. And Roberts is in a close second place behind Kavanaugh on that metric in argued cases, uh, Roberts being in the majority of 97% of those. And Not bad. No, it's all right. He's uh, not quite there. At the bottom of that group are Justice Thomas and Alito, who, remember, dissented in those criminal and immigration cases that we talked about recently that were both decided seven to two. Okay, so Kimberly, it was sort of a quiet week at the court. A good chance that'll change next week with a lot of the heavy opinions still left and the court announcing two opinion days for next week. So it's got to be at least one big opinion that's coming next week, right? Mm, I don't know about that, Jordan. No? Well, I will say we're going to write it up no matter what. So. <laughs> oh, we'll be here. We'll be here. 
So a couple other things coming out of the Supreme Court just this morning. I received in the mail my thumb drive with the justices' financial st- disclosures on them. A thumb drive? Yeah, do you remember these things? Um, they were the things kind you of. would use when you couldn't send an email link. Hmm. Wow, the courts just, they're really just keep embracing this uh, 19th century technology. Right, so financial disclosures are filed every year by the justices. Um we got most of them. We did not get Justice Alito or Justice Gorsuch's. So they will probably come um, sometime in the coming months. Uh, but we usually uh, don't get these via mail, although we still get them by a thumb drive. Um, typically, when we're not in the middle of the of a pandemic, we go to the administrative offices of the U.S. courts, and you know, there's a whole bunch of Supreme Court reporters there and we get them and we all scurry back to the Supreme Court and plug in our thumb drives and then some reporters remember that they don't have computers that have thumb drives anymore um, <laughs> so a little bit different this year but notably nothing really stuck out to me on uh, the financial disclosures so far except um, something that we'd already known about was Justice Ginsburg's million dollar prize that she won this year right well this is the one she she didn't keep the money, right? She donated it somewhere or something like that? That's right. That She donated it. And that's really in keeping with what the justices do. Justice Sotomayor also um, won, I think it was a $13,000 prize. And she donated all of that to iCivics, um, which, of course, is Sandra Day O'Connor's um, civics in organization, which now Justice Sotomayor has taken up. And uh, what was it again that she got the prize for? Somebody came to her door um, with a huge check. She had won. <laughs> No, this was she had one um, generally for her work in the law, um, and Justice Sotomayor's was for her book that she wrote recently about um, her children's book that she wrote about struggles. So, um, not like a drinking contest or anything. All right. And then, Jordan, um, there's some other rumors swirling around the Supreme Court or really the Solicitor General's office, right? Right. Noel Francisco is stepping down as the Solicitor General. It's been uh, reported that he's going to do so soon. And um, there's nothing really particularly scandalous about that on its own, right? That the timing of that seems to be keeping in line with the time during previous president's terms when other solicitors general have stepped down, right? That's right. I, I think, though, that one impact that um, him stepping down could have could be on the representation of minority um, attorneys who argue at the Supreme Court. Notably, Noel Francisco was the first Asian American uh, to be confirmed to the solicitor general spot. Um, so without him, uh, we can expect the arguments to be less Diverse. All right. So I guess the last thing before we go, Kimberly, you came across something interesting from the court's colleagues in the North. Uh, that's right. So the Supreme Court of Canada, which actually always live streams its arguments, um, but the COVID crisis has pushed the court to conduct Zoom hearings that are also available to the public. The court actually streams it right there on its own website. Good afternoon and welcome to this uh, online hearing which is taking place by video conference in accordance with the health and safety measures being taken in light of the ongoing COVID-19 situation. So the court heard one civil case and a few criminal ones during that sitting. And before kicking off the historic arguments, Chief Justice Richard Wagner starts out by acknowledging that this is not a usual day and these are not usual times. Right. And he goes on to say that these Zoom arguments are new. Quote, none of us have done this before. There will be hiccups. There may even be unexpected 
interruptions by children or pets, and that's okay. Definitely a contrast to the U.S. arguments that we had recently, where we read that Lisa Blatt appearing in the first remote argument on the U.S. side had to assign her son to walk the dog so he wouldn't be making an unexpected appearance and had her husband stop anyone before they could knock on the door or ring the bell. Right. Seems like they're not taking themselves too seriously up there. Well, except when it comes to transparency, right? They say they seem to take that pretty seriously. Yeah. In fact, the Chief Justice in his opening remarks noted that the hearings are always webcast online and archived for later viewing whether or not the justices are in the courtroom in Ottawa or not. Throwing a little shade down south there. I like it. So the... Canadian Supreme Court has its own Twitter handle, so you can follow along with what's going on up there in another difference from the justices here. And so, actually good for news organizations, the U.S. Supreme Court does not have its own Twitter handle, so you can follow along with all the latest Supreme Court news at news.bloomberglaw.com. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Laura Carlson, and I'm dropping into your feed to tell you about Prognosis, a new daily show from Bloomberg. Monday through Friday, we'll spend a few minutes with you every afternoon to help you understand life in the time of COVID-19. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. So come back every afternoon for our coverage and stay safe.